Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. So I'm here with Lynn Seppla from Castlewood, South Dakota. Um, he's had just a fantastic life, uh, just huge interest, but also some challenges along the way. Um, and so, Lynn, I'd like you to just kind of tell me your story first and, and what are some of the things that you've accomplished in your life? Well, I started out in Castlewood, South Dakota on a small farm, um, top of my class. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's only 32 people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I went to South Dakota State University and then on to physics, a bachelor, and then on to University of Rochester where I studied optics with some of the great people at that time. Uh-huh. And I eventually went to Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and I've been involved in some of the largest optical systems built um, in the world. Actually, one time I was doing three of the largest projects at the same wow. time. It was, you know, for a small town guy in a farm in the middle of South Dakota, it was I thought it was pretty spectacular, you know. But I think what I did is I took the chance to do something, and um, I sort of credit my farmer's background where my father at six o'clock says, okay, at, at 12 boys, you're gonna milk the cows today, and that was yeah. it, you know, so there was no thought about, you know, it's too hard or too difficult or too cold. You did what you needed to do. And, and, and out of that effort, there's been some amazing things like, t- tell me about the, the 192 laser um, igniter. Well, the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory was built to study nuclear weapons, and specifically the atomic, uh, the hydrogen bomb. Okay. That was the, and so we've been involved in all kinds of research in, in terms of nuclear fission and fusion. And uh, when we started in 1995 or so, saying no more underground testing, we had to switch to doing it in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Well, our laboratory is a 10-story building, five stories up, five stories in the ground. It's big enough so you could put three football fields side by side by side. Wow. And there's 192 laser beam. They're square, but roughly about the same size at this table. And they all go into a 10-meter diameter vacuum chamber and onto a tiny pellet that hopefully will heat up to the temperature of the sun and cause hydrogen to fuse into helium and create some energy. So this has been a 40-year goal. And we're getting close where we got the first slight bit of we call burning, where mm-hmm. we actually got more energy out than we put in. But it's still a long ways to go. Well, and I was involved in a lot of the optics in the beam transport, diagnostic alignment. But these were all single element lens, you know, one wavelength. And I had a chance in nineteen in two thousand one, as after I had my stroke, to um, invo- be involved in the optical design of the world's largest light gathering telescope. So right. I always say doing small lenses, one wavelength, calls me eminently to do. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did is I decided after my stroke, you know, 
I have a chance to do it, and by golly, I'm going to do it, you know. And if if I fail, I fail, but I, I, I'm never going to go back and say I, I, I should have done that. So, so you, even after a stroke, about mid midway in your career, right. um, you've come back now, and, you, and you're getting ready to it, it's ready to come online with a, a I think huge it's, optic in in Chile. Is they that right? Built the observatory. Okay. All the mechanical structures, all the frames. They've got the mirrors in place, and now the they got to put the camera, which is the size of a small VW bus, you know. So it's a, it's very complex, and uh, well, but I always think, you know, when I went to the University of Rochester, I was pretty smart, you know, top mm -hmm. of my class. Mm -hmm. But and but I went to SDSU, and there were some a lot smarter. And then I went to University of Rochester, and there were people really smart, you know. So a lot of times I I sort of said I don't belong, you know. I'm just a small people and I don't right. have the qualification but uh, I think you have to learn to accept what you are and and try as hard as you can and uh, don't worry about what other people think and don't don't judge yourself too harshly you know if you think you can do it give it a try Absolutely. I think the worst thing would be to, to be um, in your late career and say you know you know I should have tried that you know I wish I'd done that, and that's yeah. you can always fail yep. many times, but you know the time you succeed is something will last forever. Yeah. So you know, t tell me a little bit about you know the tenacity that it took um, to come to come back and decide that you know I'm not gonna listen to the doctors. I'm gonna kind of. Well, it's interesting because I had a stroke, like I said, in 1992, mm -hmm. and. Um, my first, I think I was probably unconscious for a day or two. And when I woke up, um, we started doing some therapy and a person hold up a toothbrush and I, I knew what it was. I mm -hmm. couldn't say toothbrush. Uh, I couldn't dial a telephone, you know, because I couldn't, the numbers didn't make any sense. Hmm. And I knew my numbers, like four, four, seven, so I had to do one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But then you lose track, you know. So it was very difficult. But I think with my wife, with my family, with my support group from the lab, you know, they always thought I could do it. And and so I had this incredible support team to do it. So, uh, but I was like it back in, in first grade. Um, I remember the first month after I was in the hospital, the occupational therapist was going to just balance my checkbook, you know, just to, as an exercise, and I couldn't do it, you know. And so she sort of terminated the, the meeting and said, why don't you go back to the room? Well, I went back to the room and I sort of said, mm, you know, so I can't add and subtract. What can I do? But I realized I could do cosine identities. You know, which is a trick of doctor. Right, right. And so I said, I can do that. So later on that day, my wife came. I told her the story. We talked to a neurologist later that evening. And he said, well, maybe you should try to find another career. Well, my career is, is physics and optics. You know, that's not, um, that's not an option. And my right. wife is determined she wasn't about to let me try to find another career yeah so I had to go back literally to kindergarten 
learning how to write with my left hand. I'm right-handed, so mm -hmm. that wasn't even a good break. So, and I had to do word games, crossword puzzles. I someone from work gave me a chess set, but I couldn't figure out how to put the batteries. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was. Uh, but through all that, especially the first three or four months, it was like something new and exciting. It was like you were a child again, learning how to do things. And, and it was like, okay, you got to figure out how to do this. Um, but I'd say six months into the stroke, I started getting depressed, you know, because I realized that this isn't going to go away. You know, I lost the right arm. I can, I cannot use it, period. Um, and I was getting depressed every time I went to work on my arm I got even more depressed so finally I said you know Beth this is you know I'm not going to do this anymore mm -hmm. and she like stunned I said it's only an arm you know let me get on with something I can do I don't want to spend time doing something that will never right. ne never will work out I'm a scientist so I, I sort of plotted the progress and it was you know straight line and so but my wife understood and she one night took me into the library and she laid me my head on her lap and she just says you know stroke my head and just said you know cry ball you know and I just broke down bawling harder than I've ever done since I was maybe two years old yeah, yeah. and and something something clicked and I said if I can do that I can do anything, you know. If I can just realize that, you know, don't worry about what's happening a year from now. Can I get through the next day? And something clicked, and I so um, I went back. And we started. I told my therapist we were going to go skiing. I had a doctor friend who was an Olympic skier, and he was the first guy that said, you know, Lynn, this is a tragedy but we're gonna get back to, to skiing. Now I was in a wheelchair and I said, mm -hmm. you know, crazy Ralph, you know, yeah, he's right, you know. <laughs> but I started to do it and I said, you know, I told my therapist we're gonna go skiing and he said, that's a crazy idea. But we started out on a slope that you could barely move and I fell at both turns, left turn fall. Ski instructor put me up, right turn fall. And, you know, but we did, again, baby steps and within three years, I was skiing things like extrovert, um, tourist trap. Oh, you know, wow. You know, sometimes falling, sometimes taking a big tumble, but you know. Yeah. But I survived. I had a great teacher. And uh, so I think it's just, you can never sit, say you can't do it. I mean, if you, you yeah. have to try. I yeah. mean, that's the first thing. If you say it's too hard, you know you've lost already you, you have to say I can try and many times you'll you'll fail yeah the uh, you, you're just kind of the epitome of the saying that it's not how many times you fall it's how many times you get back right. up right um, and and that's you know uh, just the uh, tenacity that you have and so it was after that then that you is that it was afterwards that you uh, studied dark matter and and, and those types of things and, and came up with these other optics or? And that was, that was after my stroke, right? Mm -hmm. So I've actually been involved in slightly in the, in the Hubble telescope realizing there was something wrong 
Okay, and I always I did a little bit, but I always regretted that I could have done more. I could have bought, brought in more people, but I was a little bit shy and a little bit reserved, so I didn't do what I could have done. Mm -hmm. And so when I have this opportunity, I said I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can. So I got the funding, and I spent six months uh, studying it, and then there's another two years, and. You know, it, it's, it was something I was uncomfortable with doing it, but I said, I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, things worked out. They, they, they certainly did. You know, they, uh, you know, you look back and you have all these scientific achievements that you have. But, you know, as you look back, what do you think is your greatest accomplishment? I would say um, mentally and physically recovering from the stroke. It was devastating, I mean. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, technically, I think it was um, the large synoptic survey telescope, which is now called the Vera C. Rubin telescope. Okay. Um, I, 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 w I was way out on a limb, you know, going way beyond what I knew. But I, it was as if I was back in a stroke where you just put one step forward mm -hmm. and don't worry about what's going to happen. So I, I learned to take their design, study for six months, and try to find something better. For us laypersons, what exactly is that? that uh, I, the name you just said? It was the Vera C. Rubin Telescope. Now. Okay. Observatory. Okay. Rubin C. Vera C. Rubin Observatory. And is that, is that the one in Chile? Yes, it's going to be in Chile. Okay in the Atacama Desert, okay, 8,500 feet above sea level. And it's like a, a, an 8.4 meter optic yeah. or something? 27 feet in diameter. Wow. The, um, it's a 3.2 billion pixel camera. Okay. All right, so it's a, the field of view is as if it was seven, the width is seven moon diameter, so it's a huge, huge field of view. Wow. And it'll be the world's largest light gathering instrument. And so just to be a part of it, to be lucky enough to be a small-time boy from Kansas, oh. South Dakota. Absolutely. Uh, to be in this position. But I realized that a lot of people are, are like me. They come from a small town. Mm -hmm. they, they worked hard, and, and they, you know, they, they did it. They, and people think you have to be to Stanford, Harvard to do something. Well, that's not the case. You know, if you work hard, um, follow your dreams, Enjoy what you're doing. Yep. I don't think I ever, at the lab, found there was one day why I would, wasn't anxious to go to work. Yeah. So my one suggestion would be find something you love. And if it doesn't pay a lot, find some way to make, make it pay. Because I would, I, I would say don't ever do something you don't like to do. It's, not, it's a waste of time. You're not doing good to yourself, your family, or your or the world if you don't love to do what you're doing. I was blessed to have a good wife, a, mm -hmm. a good work, um, good people around me, and I've just been so fortunate to be where I am today. Well, it's just fantastic, and your story is just incredible. The um, And, you know, you've kind of... Um, laid out you know kind of what some advice you'd give young people but is there anything else that you would tell you know that young person that's in Castlewood you know they just um, they, they just you know had a uh, 
catastrophic tornado in the town and so forth. Um, what would you tell them, you know, as, they, as they're sitting there kind of, um, anything you'd add to, to your advice? I think um, it's a big world out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll find interesting people. I'll be open to them. I mean, when I grew up, there were no, it was Finns, Swedes, and Norwegian with a bit of German, and, and that was it. So you're going to find people of all colors, of all racial background, all religion, and you have to learn these are people. Right. They're just like you and I. And and take what you can get from them, and learn from them, and don't ever judge harshly somebody by their by their height, pace of color, religion, or anything like that. It's it's a it's a wide wide world, and and the wider you can make yourself, the better off you are. Yeah, that's so true. And and I know you're also doing some work with. Uh, stroke and, and and treatments and can you just say a little bit about yeah um, when I had my stroke in 1992 I was able to go to the nearest hospital mm -hmm. but now five years um, ago I could have gone to the hospital because I w it wasn't a certified stroke care center okay so I would have to go miles away to find a, a hospital so we instituted a fundraising campaign to get our local hospital to be a certified stroke care center. And we had to raise a million dollars and we, we, fund, we matched some of the funds. Mm -hmm. But I've had now at least three people who said thank you for saving my life. Because they, they had a stroke, they went in, they got this stroke busting drug Mm -hmm. And two days later, they walked out and they're completely normal. So that's uh, one of the things we try to do is to try to lessen the amount of, of damage by just making treatment available. And then just within the last six months, that was great for people, you know, recover fully, but there are still people who have severe strokes who need um, much more care and, and um, support. So for the last six months, we had a um, stroke care center uh, it involved to be a, now a monthly support group where we have anywhere from you know, six to 12 people talking about their life, their medicines, you know, their feeling and how they're, how they're feeling. And, and I act as, a, as an example as someone who could um, have a stroke and, and, and be a successful person, you know. And uh, so it's, it, I find it very encouraging just to see some people just had a stroke right. to give some encouragement to say, you know, stick with it, you'll be, you'll be okay. The, uh, you know, your, your story is just um, really compelling. Um, it's very inspirational. The uh, and it inspires me greatly, Lynn. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna talk about that we didn't cover or anything? I can't think of it right now. So, okay. but uh, I, I think I've gotten most of it. Um, you did. You know, I, I was very um, very physical in my activities. I I skied. I played soccer. I played a little bit of softball. I used to play amateur baseball. Right. So when I did have the stroke. 
uh, I remember I went to my godson's basketball game. It was in eighth grade, and I almost threw up because I realized, you know, at that time, I can't do all those things. Right. Right. Um, and it was that was a tough adjustment, you know. But all I can say is you have to look forward to what you can do. I mean, rather than what you can't do, and it, that was a tough adjustment. You know, I remember my therapist would say, even if you don't do a single bit of scientific work, you're still a scientist. Yep. And and I for for I'd say six months we had this argument with my therapist you're the same person no I'm not yes you are no I'm not and it it took a long time to drill it into my head that you know you are the same person you maybe can't do the things you used to do but you can still think and you can still be creative and um, I I told a graduation speech at the University of Rochester I ended up by saying, you know, my mom always said, you know, whatever happens, she said, well, it'll work out for the best. Yeah. And I said, finally, yeah, mom, you're right. Things will work out for the best. Okay. So, I've also said that, you know, I've seen many people who said, given my life without the stroke or a missing arm or something like that, which did you choose? And it's astonishing. Many people said I would choose to have my stroke and the life that, ex- that I'm living now mm-hmm. rather than take a chance on you know, you know, everything being okay and not being sure what was going to happen. So, Gosh, really. so I think it, there's always hope. There is. Well, yeah. good. Well, thank you. Um, and thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.